Well, I don't know quite where to begin, but I will begin. I, we just have this little PowerPoint on as a background because I can't retain and hold very much at 72 years of age. And so I only like one scripture verse and one story. And if that can get you through until next Sunday, we're all successful. So I have a verse in Genesis 16:13 from the Message Bible that says, You are the God who sees me. Yes. God saw me, and I see God. You are the God who sees me. Yes. And this scripture comes from the story of a slave girl, an Egyptian maid to Sarai, Sarah. And that Sarah had a problem. She couldn't have any children. So she had an idea that she would give her maid to her husband to have a child. Some of our dreams turn into nightmares, as you know. And this poor, innocent, helpless slave girl, as soon as she became pregnant, Sarah tormented her. She agonized her. She mistreated her to the point where Hagar left Sarah and went out to the desert, powerless, lonely, overwhelmed, screaming with the pain in her heart. Now, none of you have ever been there. <laughs> you may be there right now today, and if you are, thank God you're in the right place. And you're going to hear the message that there is a God, and that God will see you. Yes! Yes is a positive answer, and you will see God. Let me just break here and give you a little story why I'm even here today. I have parents, a mother and a father. They just celebrated their 75th wedding anniversary. So I had decided that I wanted to have a celebration for them. And uh, my mother, who's 94 years old, doesn't even wear reading glasses, my mom and dad are in the best of health. They don't take any medicine. They don't have any illnesses or diseases. Wish I could say the same about myself. So we had this anniversary celebration. And my mother said, I don't want to eat first because I want to speak to the people. 94 years old, she's got the microphone up. You know, Italian. Italian's got to talk with the hands. Well, my mother was talking with the microphone. I know there's a God. When my mother was 12 years old, she fell off an apartment building in the north end of Boston. And a poor immigrant family with seven children at the time, they took her away to a hospital in Lakeville for a year and a half. She saw her mother twice in that year and a half. My mother was in agony. She was in pain like Hagar was. She was all alone. They didn't give her any hope to live. And as a Roman Catholic, she says, 
I really don't know if the saints can help me. And I don't know too much about Jesus. But if there's a God, I want to know him. And a year and a half, she was sent home healed. And at her 75th wedding anniversary, she preached to the people for a half hour with that microphone. I know there's a God. Then she counted up all her money. She had all her money in her envelopes. She's counting it up. She's counting up. Well, I've got a tithe. What do you need in the DR? So I'm sitting with her and have one of those iPhones. And my health center director clicks me an email and she says, I need to buy an exam table. I have someone coming in to start doing ultrasound for the people. I need a, an exam table. How much will it cost? Oh, she said about $300. I says, Mom, you can buy an exam table. There it is. She already wrote the check. It already went off to Orlando, and my health center director is getting that for the DR. There is a God. Do you want to see him? Do you want him to see you? Now, you know what? When you see God, it doesn't mean everything's going to change. God told Hagar to go back to Sarah. Did he tell her that Sarah was going to be better, that she was going to be loving, that she was going to receive her, that she was going to be kind? We all want Jesus to come in the storm of life and say, peace, be still. We don't want to go for chemo after chemo or radiation after radiation. Do we? No. But we need to see God, yes, and let God see us. And we need to obey God and walk in faith. We're people of faith. We are not people of fear. We are people of faith. When the centurion came to Jesus and Jesus said, go home, he went home and he didn't know if his son was alive or dead, but for 24 hours he walked until he met the servant and the servant said, your son lives. Obey God. You may have to go through sorrow. Jesus was a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. And in this day and age we're living in, the older you get, how many are my age? The older you get, the more sorrow you hear and the more sorrow you see. <laughs> the God who sees me, yes, yes, I see God. God sees me. And when I know that he sees me, it just gives me his presence. And it gives me strength so that I want to do. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. I want to do jumping jacks. Amen. Amen. It's not our roses, is it? I know, I don't like to put the news on or get the phone calls or click on the emails. 
this past year when the day out was very difficult. I buried a praise and worship girl, 11 years old, from a motorcycle accident. And I laid a stone crown on her head inside the casket that my daughter gave me and her outfit and buried her. And then we had a 17-year-old boy from the best missionary family, got in the truck, left the mission compound, hit a tree, died that day. And you get it too, don't you? Hello? Yeah, I never expected Pastor George to die and leave me with all the work. When he took his last breath, you know what I said to him? I said, George, get up! <laughs> he was gone, happy, left it all to me. I gave him one more chance before they locked the casket. <laughs> Two chances. Two weeks later, I'm back in the Dominican Republic as a widow. I couldn't grieve because my people were grieving. I had to comfort them. I went to church all the time in victory. How are you? I'm in victory! But then I opened the door all alone. And it was God who saw me. And I saw God, yes! And he gave me the strength to go on. Just a little side joke. When we buried my husband, my five granddaughters, I have ten grandchildren, five grandsons and five granddaughters, from 12 years old going on 23. So the five granddaughters were giggling, giggling. Grandma, are you going to get married again? I don't think so. <laughs> With all this work and grandpas and all of you, you know, it's just time to get back to the work and enjoy the family. Oh. After six months, this, whatever you want to call me or whatever you want to think of me, I'm going to delete whatever impression you have of me. <clears throat> I was on five dating networks. Dennis O'Connor. And this, and this man has come alongside and supported me 100% in the ministry and everything that I do. I need to give you the history of what happened with your church and your people. I just love your eyes. You have perfect eyesight. You have such spiritual vision to see. When I look at you, you know what you do? You don't turn your head when I'm talking to you. You look at me. I love it. You're wonderful people. And you sent your pastors to the Dominican Republic. So I'll tell you the story. April of 2013... We looked at land in faith to buy it, signed the papers, and then I went out speaking a little bit, and the money came in. We bought the land in August of 2013. 
In October of 2013, I started having dreams some nights, nightmares the other night, as to what to build and how to build it and who to have build it. That went on October, November, December, January. Dennis would wake up in the morning and I'd say, I got it, I got it last night, got it all drawn out. And this went on and on and on. Finally in January, I really was secure that I had heard from God. It is something how when you're trying to hear from God, you're just like tottering until you really hear from him and then you know. So in January, I was ready. Got three bids that is required by my home office, three builders, and I was ready to go. Okay, so I'm the missionary, right? I write the story about these insignificant people that live in swampland, that are looked down upon by everyone in that town. And uh, I tell people that we want to build a church and a school for these people. In our newsletter, have you ever seen any of our newsletters that go out? Okay. So this is in January, and I'm ready to build. I've got the prices. I'm ready. I'm, we're ready to go. And first week goes by, the second week goes by, I'm calling the office in Orlando. They don't have one dollar for me. Now, I'm feeling like Hagar, God, please! I'm so embarrassed. I'm so abandoned. I'm in pain. I'm in agony. I have a meeting with the church and the people. They know I bought the land. They know the land is purchased. They've seen the builders there. They know what I'm going to do. When are you going to begin? Pastora, pastora. I said, I'm sorry. I don't have one peso. And I told them the story. I showed them what I put in the newsletter. So finally, I kept after my youngest son in the office. And he said, okay, mom. The third week of January, he said, I'll send out an email to people that know you and love you and support you. And, and we got two offerings. When your pastor came to the Dominican Republic, I had received two offerings of $600. And so I, I, I couldn't begin. And so your pastor came there with the other pastors, and I thought, oh, God, please let them see. When your, I was so shocked because, like, your pastor came on a Monday. Some of them came on a Tuesday. Friday night, pastors John and Anita asked to speak privately with us. I, was, I could hardly believe what I was hearing, that, that God had really seen me and seen the people, and that this church was going to provide the foundation for that church. And, you know, the prices of the contract ranged from 98000 to 145000 Now, it doesn't take much intelligence to say you're going to give you're going to give the builder with the lowest price the job, right? But one builder was German, the other was uh, Dominican and Lebanese, and this guy was from Switzerland. But you know what was bad about this guy? He was a Christian. And I goes, I don't want to do business with a Christian. Who knows what will happen if I do business with a Christian? <laughs> I, okay, <laughs> you got it. <laughs> 
And I just, all weekend, I just said to dad, I don't know what to do. You know, if you do business, you got to do it. You got to do it right. I said, but if I do business with the Christian, will it be okay? So finally, I met with the builder. And you know what? It was more a praise and worship service than it was a business meeting. And I could feel his heart saying, I just want to do something for God. He said, I've been working in the Dominican Republic for 28 years. He was from Switzerland. He says, I just want to do something for God. I just want to help you. I'll do this for you for 98000 So then I said to him, you're going to begin next week? He says, yeah. And, I go, and now next week, I needed 35000 for him to begin on March 17th. And I said to him, well, um, would you be willing to work when I have the money to pay you? Because with New Missions, we do everything cash. We don't have any credit. We don't have any bills. So would you build as I can give you the money, as I can raise the money? And he looked at me, those steel blue eyes, and he said to me, when we start building, we will not stop. My legs were like trembling under the table. We have not stopped. When this church saw the need and God said yes, you just started a flow of finances to complete that building. And that building will be completed within 30 days. And I'm only here to thank you for that. And I need to ask you to send your pastors back so they can dedicate it. It will not be dedicated until your pastors come back. And so we're praying for that. You are the God who sees me. Yes, God saw me. I see God. You know something? That's your opportunity every day in life to see God, to hear that yes, and then to be used of God. You know, um, I love the new technology. When I was living in Haiti, I had to walk three and a half miles down a dirt road, get on the back of a pickup truck that they call the Tap Tap, go into the city and sit at a lumber yard for one hour and wait to get news from my son George as to how much money came in, as to what we could do for mission work for the following week, and then also to get news of the family, like we buried your aunt a couple of weeks ago or something like that. That was how technology was when we were in Haiti. There were times when we would try to go to a telephone company. It would take maybe two hours to get there. There's one telephone. I'm going back almost 30 years ago. You would wait in line with other people to use that telephone. And then if you ever called when the phone was busy, you had to wait in line again. But in this day and age, thank God, with technology, we are really keeping in touch with things. I'm sorry, but I just lost my train of thought as to where I was going. Okay. So yesterday on my iPhone, my daughter told me a little story. She says, Mom... She says, I went out to get groceries this morning. And when I went out to get groceries, there was this man in his 80s crawling out of the bushes. 
homeless man dragging this black, black plastic bag with his belongings. She says, I said to him, you stay right there. It reminds me of how Dennis tells his dog, Buddy, Buddy, you stay now. You stay right there, Buddy. My daughter says, you stay right there. I'll be right back. I'm going to the cash machine. So she went to the cash machine, and she came back, and she found the man. She says, Mother, she says, he stunk like a skunk. He hadn't shaven. He was toothless. He was so squatty. And she says, I looked at him. I looked in his eyes, and I made him look in my eyes. And I said to him, sir, God isn't finished with you yet. You know something? When you see God and God sees you, there's going to be a change. And you have already seen God and God has already seen you and you are already changed. You people are weird. You're peculiar. You're strange. I haven't found a people like you. Nobody would help me the whole month of January. Just you weirdos here in Seekonk would help me. I want you to be weird for Jesus and turn this world upside down. And, and you know you can do it. You can do it. Look at this. So ministered to just by the praise and worship. I said, Ah, wonderful. What else do you want me to tell you? I have five pages here. I told you that. Told you that. Told you that. Told you that. Okay, I'll just tell you another little tidbit. It's okay if I get through early. You know, um, in the Dominican Republic or in any poor country, um, there are never enough. It's always like, there's never enough. And so the pastors are always saying, oh, we need more chairs. How many of you have been to the third world? A lot of you have been to the third world. And so what kind of, what kind of chairs do you see in the third world when you go? Have you ever been to churches in the third world, what kind of chairs they have? I mean, they're, pre they're pretty substandard. They're, they're pretty rickety. They're pretty ugly. <laughs> Basically, in the third world, every church I've been to, it's either a plank of wood like we have in Haiti, or it's a white plastic chair. White plastic chairs everywhere. And you know, I feel as though this church has done a mission of excellence in Playa Laguna. It has attracted the people. When we started building, you know what happened on that dirt, muddy, swampy road? People would come down on their motorcycles or walking, and they would just stop and look and look. They couldn't believe it. And I, I don't know what my people think of me, because in January to say I have no money, and then to start in March and not stop and be done next month, I don't know if they think I, I might have just lied once or what. <laughs> I just told them that they had to fast and pray because I did all I could. And they did. They did fast and pray. And God saw them. And God said yes. And God answered them. But anyways, it's such a beautiful building. It's just all arches and a quality commercial ceramic tile on the floor. Not dirt and not cement. 
ceramic tile that I can wash nice and clean and have preschool and an I Am Hope Club there. Then I said to Dennis, I don't want cheapy white plastic chairs. I don't want that. I want something because when Jesus came and saved you, he lifted you up. And I want to give these people a lift. I want these people that have felt like the worst and the poorest of the poor and the slums of the slump and the swamps, I want them to feel above every other church and ministry in that whole North Coast area. So I was talking to my missionary from the Dominican Republic this week, and I said, I want you to go to, we have a store there about an hour away. It's like a Costco or a Sam's or a BJ. And they only sell one stack chair there, but it's really solid. And I said, I want you to go there and put an order in for 100 chairs. And you know something? This week, my girl Hannah in the Orlando office sent me an email Friday afternoon. I ordered those chairs on Thursday morning. And on Friday afternoon, I got an email. And a woman who is an assisted living, who has visited Haiti many times, sent me a check to use in the Dominican Republic that will pay for the chairs. Okay, now I just want to give you a little warning. When you're in pain and you start thinking about your pain, when you get a phone call, many of you may have children, divorce situations, all these emotions, these problems, grandchildren. When you're faced with your haggard times or your Anna times, stop thinking and start looking to Jesus. Because when you start thinking how you feel, you are going to sink fast. You need to look to God and live. Look to the Lamb of God. Look to God and live, because we are still on earth. We have the taste of heaven within us because we have God who lives within us, but we are still on earth. And no matter what comes our way, we will not just spend all that time mulling around and making calls and talking about the illness and the sorrow, but we're going to look to God, and we're going to say yes and let God see us. And we are going to go on to victory because of the change that takes place when you know the presence of God, when the eyes of God have seen you and you see God, you can go back to Sarah. You can go back to the situation and you will be walking above it. God bless you. Thank you very much. Keep that up there for a minute. Go ahead. Be seated. You may be seated. You know, when she put that scripture up there in the beginning, I'm looking at that scripture. never thought of it in those terms. But that's for everything. 
is that God sees us. And then we see, you know what it's like to make eye contact with somebody? You know what it's like to not make eye contact? You're trying to talk to somebody and they're looking around because you know they're not paying attention to you. But when you make eye contact with somebody, you know, first of all, that they're watching you, they're listening to you. And you know that you matter to them because out of all the other things that they could look at, they've chosen to look at you. So they're giving you personal attention, which means they recognize you as an individual that you have personal importance to them and that they're here to listen to you. Years ago, I heard a children's minister talk about how important it is when you're ministering to children to get down at their eye level because you forget what it's like as adults when you're children to always be looking up and have adults looking down at you. And isn't that what God did? He came down to our level. And the Word of God took on flesh and dwelt among us. He looked us in the eyes. He touched people. He was touched with people. He was moved with compassion. He wept at Lazarus' tomb. He cared about them. And Hebrews tells us that one of the reasons he did that is so that he could be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And because of that, he can be a faithful high priest. A high priest is somebody that represents you to God and represents God to you. It makes that connection that you can't make for yourself. And Hebrews tells us that Jesus ever lives to make that connection, that intercession for us. But he, think of this, God loves you so much that he didn't just send his son to die for you and pay for your sins. If that's all he did, that would be everything. But he did more than that. He cared about you enough to want to be able to identify with your struggles. Because God the Father can't. I mean, when you're all-powerful, you're all-knowing, you have no weakness, and all things are possible, it's hard to understand somebody else's struggles and weaknesses. But he loves you so much, he was willing to take on flesh just like yours and mine. They got tired. That was. You could see sometimes he would get frustrated with his disciples. How long do I have to be with you? Oh, ye of little faith. He could marvel at their unbelief. And so he understands what it's like to struggle with temptation. He understands what it's like to struggle with the temptation to be discouraged and to be weary. And he even at one point at the end, when he shared with them what's going to happen in the Gospel of John, he said, all you're sorrowing for yourself, but you're never even thinking of what I'm going through that I'm alone now because you're leaving me emotionally. But I'm not alone because my Father is with me. And yet, although he identifies with our weaknesses and experiences those temptations, on the other side of it, he never gave in to them. He never weakened. He never gave in to the temptations. And as a result, he can be a faithful high priest he can represent you and understand your weaknesses. And that's why one of my favorite scriptures is in Ephesians, is Hebrews 4.16. It says, therefore, we can come boldly to a throne of grace to receive mercy and find help in time of need.
That's how much God loves you. I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know what struggles you're in your family or in your life or physically and wherever it is you're dealing with. But understand this. He loves you so much. He's come down to look you in the eyes and give you the opportunity to look back at him. The second thing I thought about as she was sharing, because my wife and I had the privilege of following her in the Dominican into a housing area that is you and I would never call housing. And I watched her go into the home of a man that was on his bed dying as she goes there regularly. I watched her go into other people's houses and talk to them and I felt what a privilege it was and not to lift her up because I felt like I was walking with Jesus. And I'm not saying she's Jesus, but she's allowed Jesus to use her to be his eyes. Because you see, not everybody out there has the faith or the knowledge that you and I have that God's looking at them, as the scripture says, that God's listening to them, that God cares about them. And that's part of why he's left us here. Because we're his eyes, we're his ears, we're his hands. And I think too often the church has felt that our role is to be his judge. And the Bible never tells us to do that. It says, this is my commandment, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. And where God is taking us, is God is going to begin, as he already has is going to begin to call us, train us, and energize us to go out of these doors and to take what we've learned, not just the information, but what we know about him, and to take that to people that are around us, out in these communities, and to be his eyes, to look them in the eyes, to be his ears. You know, sometimes just to listen to somebody is all they need. We're so often so ready to share scriptures and things we know. It's one of the things I've tried to get established in our connect groups is don't preach to each other. Listen to each other. Care for each other. Love each other. Do you understand this? That if what God wanted us to do was to tell everybody how much we know, just imagine what he knows that he could tell us. But what does he do with you? He listens to you. And he'll listen to you over and over again, complain about the same thing over and over again, when he could very easily say, you fool, you know what my word says. Why didn't you do that to begin with? But he listens to you. He hears you. He loves you. And he's calling us to be his eyes and to be his ears and to be his hands and his arms. Sometimes it's just putting your arm... I watched her do this. I watched her just come up to people and just put her arm around them. And I said, wow, how long have you known them? She'd never met them before. And some of us are struggling so much in our own lives with discouragement and fear and all kinds of things in our own... just within ourselves. And we don't understand that the secret, the deliverance of it... It's not within ourselves. It's taking what God's put in us and begin to give it to other people. Because as you begin to give it to other people, the life of God, the love of God, the peace of God that God has deposited in you that you may not be experiencing right now, that will begin to flow as you begin to share that 
with others and give God the opportunity to use you to look in somebody's eyes, to listen with your ears to their cry, put their, your arm around them and to begin to care about them and to have compassion. And you'll find as you begin to do that, you'll lose consciousness or awareness of the depths of what you may be going through. I can't tell you the times I've had moments when I was really down and discouraged and I've said, God, I can't do this anymore. You need to get, I remember one time I can still see it. We were living right outside of Boston. I was practicing law and I was so discouraged. We were new Christians. I don't remember what the issue was. I remember standing in our kitchen saying, God, I can't do this. God, I can't make it. I don't know where you are. I'm just, I'm, I'm about done. And the phone rang. And it wasn't God on the other end saying, John, I love you. It was somebody that had a need that needed me to do something, that needed me, that was down and discouraged. And I'm saying, God, you misunderstood me somewhere. There's a miscommunication here. I didn't say, Lord, I'm looking for an opportunity to comfort somebody. I said, I need comfort. What I didn't recognize until I had a choice when that phone rang. And I heard what it was. I could have said, look, you know, I, I need this more than you do. You know, call me some other time. But I chose instead to give the very little that I had left and begin to give that to that person. And when I finished that time and got off the phone, I felt 10 feet tall. I felt revitalized. I felt alive again, and it startled me. And I realized that person's need calling on my, what I had, was God's answer to my prayer. And so often we don't recognize the answers that God has to us because we are looking for a particular answer and don't realize he does know what he's doing. And we have to trust that the answer he gives us may not look like it, but if we'll take the medicine, if we'll take the castor oil or the pill or whatever it is, take whatever God puts in front of us, Within this room right now, there's so much to give. And I'm not talking just about money. I'm talking about time, caring, love, listening, a a hand, a good word. You have so much in you. And there's such a need out there that God has and that people have. And the connection between their need and his desire is you and me. And this, my brother and sister, is where God's calling us to go. And you're going to find that the answer to so many things that some of you are struggling with are going to be in the opposite of what you think it's going to be. Things you don't think you can do, things that you don't want to do, you'll find the answer is in doing them because it's being obedient to God. Because God cares about people. He cares about you. He cares about your family cares about cries of people this morning in Providence and in Boston and in your community. People crying out, don't even know who they're crying to, and God hears those cries. He hears us. He sees us. And you and I are called by God to be his answer. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had this morning. We thank you, Father, for for new missions, for the vision that you gave Pastor George over 30 years ago and for the obedience of him and of his wife and eventually his family to go 
to go and bring the gospel to Haiti and then to Dominican and literally affect a nation. And now another generation has come up, Father, that have been trained. And they're going on to carry on that mission and that commission. We thank you, Father, for her and for her husband, Dennis, now, and their faithfulness to continue on, Father, when by every other standard that the world has, it would be time to retire and to sit back and to say, I've done my part, it's time for somebody else to do it. But, Father, you know that when we get a taste of serving you, when we get a taste of what it's like to allow you to work through us, we can't ever pull back until the job is done. And the job is not done until you call us home. I thank you, Father, for her faithfulness. I thank you now for Dennis, who's come alongside of you. I thank you for their family, Lord, and their involvement and their commitment. Bless them, Father. Bless them with health. Bless them with strength. Bless them with wisdom. Bless them with discernment and direction. Cause others to come alongside of them, Father, and strengthen them and lift them up and be prepared to carry the vision on. Thank you for the privilege, Father, as a church here of being a part of what you're doing down in that village in Play Laguna. You're an awesome God. That you would include us in your work. What an incredible privilege. And prepare us, Father, for what you've called us to do that lies ahead. 